Hello everyone, welcome back to the One Talk podcast. You're here with your host Ryan and today we have got a woman's trauma coach and it's Brianna Bowley. Bowley? Sorry, Brianna Bowley. (laughs) So how are you going? I'm really good. Don't worry, you're not the first person to mess up my name. Yeah. Forgiven. Yeah, I know. It's one of those things, name. You see the um, the way it's spelled and it's something, you know, it's like any word. There's those different pronunciations for it. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So um, I guess just to introduce yourself, would you like to talk a bit more potentially about your story, how you got into the work you're doing, and then we'll go into a segment of all the amazing things you're doing now. Beautiful. So uh, I'm a trauma coach for high-performing women. And I'll give you kind of the condensed version of how I got started. Um, So I was at first a personal trainer Mm. and I was working predominantly with weight loss. Um, And on the side, I had just begun fitness modeling. So um, building towards a fitness modeling competition. So essentially bodybuilding. And um, I was within the weight loss clients that I was working with, I was noticing a consistent theme of, you know, some people would have incredible weight loss results and then they would kind of yo-yo back and then there were the people who would just effortlessly lose the weight and keep it off and it kind of got me wondering like it's they're working with the same coach like we're doing the same exact same things why is it that some people have the success and maintain it and other people don't yeah and so I started to realize that there's a mindset component and of course at the same time I was kind of you know running parallel going through my own journey of losing weight for the fitness modeling competition Mm. And then when I got up on stage um, and that goal had been taken away, I found my own little yo-yo, both in terms of the weight, the weight gain, and then also just my own mental health. And so that led me on this journey to start to look into the mindset side of things and start to kind of fill that missing gap. Um, And that led me to working with predominantly athletes. So I was working with a lot of athletes, business owners, and then I, of course, just your general kind of population, but athletes and business owners, the high performers was really the thing that um, lit me up. Cause yeah, well. <laughs> yeah for, for those guys, for that kind of niche, mm. they're often the ones who have had a bit of a heavy, you know, yeah. heavy story, heavy upbringing. There's, there's something in the background that's happened young or mm. somewhere along the lines in their life that's led them to really, push for something bigger 100 because the one thing i've realized because like i'm from england i'm big on soccer football but the one thing we realized is that especially for academies there's lack of support for mindset and mental health and all of that as well so to be able to identify that and then want to pursue in that as well is amazing yeah yeah beautiful so yeah i um yeah got into as i said got into working with a lot of the kind of high performers um i was working predominantly with extreme sports athletes mm. uh they were kind of they were my jam because <laughs> you know Let's be honest here, like your average person doesn't get enjoy getting punched in the face. They yeah. don't enjoy, you know, someone trying to choke them out or take their arm or, you know, riding BMX bikes down giant ramps, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they, they were the people that really took my interest. And then, of course, when COVID hit, a lot of the competitions got shut down. Yeah, true. So I was sort of out of business. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I sat back and was like, well, if I want to keep working in this industry, I need to pivot. Yeah. So uh, I, I took a step back and considered what's the common thread with every single person I've ever worked with, whether it be a weight loss client, whether it be the fitness models that I'd worked with, whether it be, gener- uh, sorry, more of your, your business owners, your athletes, and all of it came down to that no matter who it was, the things I was helping them work through mm. was always trauma, whether yeah. that be lowercase t trauma, like the things that you probably wouldn't consider trauma traditionally or the capital T trauma, like, yeah. you know, d- 
domestic violence or, or bullying or those mm. things that we, we think of when we think of the word trauma. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that got me started. And, and I realised that basically the entire time, I mean, I've been a coach for 11 years now in mm. some capacity. Yeah. The entirety of those 11 years I was working as a trauma mm. coach, just in a slightly different format. Yeah, well, because that's the thing too, like with trauma, like it can be consciously or subconsciously, like we can hold trauma within this, but actually not know that we're actually holding on trauma from the past. Like we can believe that we've moved on from situations totally. in life, but we actually haven't. Totally. And like I, even my, my personal journey too, like I found that out when I first got into meditation and then I started to sit down and connect more within myself. And I realized certain behaviors and things happened to me in my life, created behaviors coming into my life now. This is why I was feeling this certain way. This is why I was reacting this certain way. I was like, holy crap, like this, these things are within me and I actually haven't dealt with them. Totally. So then to bring them to the conscious and then to deal with them is something that I feel like a lot of people need to be able to access as well. Totally, mm. yeah. Yeah, so what type of work do you do with people that helps them to identify trauma? Uh, so the main thing is, I, I mean, I work across three levels, generally speaking. Mm. Uh, the first is the nervous system and this is kind of my favourite part because I think this is the this is the aspect that a lot of people haven't yet come across. Mm. So the nervous system is basically looking at how the body has been trained to respond to certain stimulus. Yeah. So whether we go into a fight response, a flight response, a freeze response, or whether we're able to stay within what's called our window of tolerance through mm. certain situations. And basically the window of tolerance refers to how much stimulus or lack of stimulus we can be with before we start to... Yeah lose control of our responses basically and react rather than respond. Mm. So working with nervous system regulation and then also the somatic side of things, so looking at trauma that's stored in the body and yeah. may not necessarily be conscious. And then, of course, working with the mindset component, which is the conscious aspects of mm. trauma. So, you know, the, the, the beliefs that have been formed and the um, thoughts and the way we speak and a lot more of, yeah, the conscious awareness yeah. of this happened to me. Yeah, so with the nervous system on specifically as well, like how can people identify that within themselves if they were to be able to? Yeah, so um, taking a look at, do you mean in terms of how, mm. like how they recognise what their response is? Yeah. Yeah, so looking at, um, I, sorry, this is quite a broad question, so I'm, just trying, to think of, I'm yeah. just trying to think of a succinct way to respond. I would encourage looking at, how they respond to certain stimulus. So be it that, I don't know, their boss has pissed them off or their partner's pissed them off. Do they mm. naturally go into more of a shutdown response, mm. which is a freeze response? Or do they naturally go into more of a like defensive response? Yeah. Or do they just like get me the fuck out of this room, basically? Yeah. Which is obviously defensiveness is like the fight back. And uh, the flight response or the, the flee response is basically, yeah, that yeah. like get me out of the room. Um, and then also noticing like how much uh, stimulus you can have coming your way. So again, let's just take the example of you're having an argument with your partner, mm. how much you can have that stimulus uh, in your world before you start to react, yeah. before you start to find that your thoughts are beginning to race or mm. you're, you're finding yourself kind of leaving your body, yeah. how, how long you can kind of stay in that conversation mm without your the sensations you're feeling in your body overwhelming you. Yeah, well, okay. And would you also agree with that, like trauma is also um, linked to like conditioned beliefs as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100% because they are essentially can be the same thing as well because our trauma can do, give us conditioned beliefs which then take us further in the, in the future as well and how we do things in the present moment. Totally. So like um, 
I think where I'm getting to with that, because we're conditioned beliefs, we learn a lot of it from when we're young. So do you have any advice for potential parents who are raising children and they could be more aware of how impactful some traumatic things that they might be doing can lead into trauma within children? Yeah, um, loaded question. But I would encourage for any parent, um, and and depending on the age of the kid, Hmm. but um, children, especially, you know, the younger ones, babies in particular, um, don't have the ability to self-regulate. So there's mm. self-regulation, which is where we basically were able to calm ourselves, we're able to bring ourselves back to a place of safety and security. Mm. And then there's co-regulation, which is where we do it through being yeah. in contact with other humans or through pets or, mm. um, yeah, you know, other people basically. And so children don't actually have the ability to self-regulate. Yeah. So uh, they're reliant on their parents. Mm. So the best thing that any parent can do in order to help support their child in navigating trauma or avoiding um, being traumatised mm. is to do the work on themselves. Yeah. So when they're able to um, have quite a broad window of tolerance, so what I mean by that is you know, they're able to be with a whole range of different experiences mm. before they start to tip into one of those trauma or survival responses, when they're very regulated that's going to teach the kid how to, yeah. you know, to, to stay within that window of tolerance as well. Mm, like, because then if you heal yourself, because essentially, like, when you're a parent, you're living by example. Yeah. So it's like they just copy your actions and what you do as well. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Because I've got a friend who's just coming into, um, like, he's becoming a coach for fathers as well, mm-hmm. especially find the self-love, self-worth, self-acceptance. So I think that's a great space for people to tap into because obviously for the generations to move forward, it's important to have that. Yeah, totally. And I think a a, a really, you know, this this stuff happens in our day-to-day life. So, for example, you know, I I showed up today for this interview in a bit of chaos um, because of all sorts of things, long story, (laughs) but um, you would have felt it, right? You would have sensed immediately that I was slightly dysregulated, that I was rushed, that I was a little bit flustered, that there was some stress there. Um, And so you would have picked up on that. Yeah. But when I walked in here, you said, okay, we're going to sit down, we're going to do a breath work, Mm. right? And you led me through a breath work. And so that right there, that's an example of co-regulation. Yeah, okay. And so immediately, you know, that shifted my state, that brought me back into a state of safety, of of being back in my body, of letting go of that kind of um, stressed, rushed Mm. sensation, basically. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's a perfect example of of (laughs) co-regulation. Yeah, and that's the beauty of breath work too. It does literally just sense you in the middle of anything. Like I do it countless of times a day it just i don't always do like the whole three minute one but sometimes i just do like five seconds in the nose five seconds out to get from that alpha brainwave state to get back to theta and it's actually the most beautiful thing the most yeah. beautiful tool that i have within me totally. to be able to calm myself yeah, yeah perfect so that's prime example of self-regulation there because mm. you're leading yourself through it yeah do you have many other coping mechanisms that you do that help you get through situations and yeah. stress yeah absolutely so um there's there's what's called top Uh, sorry, top-down regulation, and then there's bottom-up regulation. Mm. So you want to think of this as top-down regulation is mindset work, basically. So it's shifting your thoughts um, and and the words you speak um, to impact the body's responses. Mm. And then there is bottom-up regulation, which is shifting the body and noticing the sensations within the body in order to shift the thoughts and and the words, basically. Mm. So um, bottom-up regulation is about 80%. Mm. 
uh, top down regulation is about 20%. So I think a lot of a lot of people get this confused. A lot of people mm. think that the mindset work is really important, yeah. but it's actually more so about what's stored within the body that impacts the mind. Yeah, so right. I like to work more within the somatic stuff, which is looking at what's stored within the cells. Mm. So I encourage things like breath work. Yeah. Uh, I encourage things like or um orienting so basically thinking of like pushing the feet into the ground you know noticing the floor beneath Mm. you um noticing you know five things that you can hear five things that you can see uh noticing your clothing on your skin yeah noticing you know something that you can smell Mm. seeing how far off into the horizon you can look you know what's the furthest thing you can possibly see things like that so things that are really anchoring you within your body Mm. and then there's also the somatic release side of things so looking at Uh, anger releases Mm. or uh, ecstatic dance to shift emotion or any sort of movement that allows you to release whatever energy or whatever Mm. um, unprocessed stress is stored within the cells. Yeah, well, I love that because it's all about, you know, becoming present in the moment and just being able to center right now because that's something that I've, over the last probably 12 months, that's been my huge practice is presence. And like ever since I found presence within my life, I found more, not just joy, but just a lot more peace within myself. Like it doesn't stop thoughts that do come but it makes them go a lot quicker and it makes them a lot more manageable because there's not so much emotion attached to those thoughts anymore yeah beautiful. yes that's beautiful yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's also like exercise too like you said being able to shift anger as well because yeah. like me personally i don't see anger as a negative um thing that we have within this i see there's a positive it just depends how you use it totally. that's, that's what makes it rather positive or negative it's totally. so like for me personally i love going to the gym and using that as my source to put my energy into things like that yeah yeah Yeah, totally i agree anger is uh it's neutral Mm. you know it's neutral energy it's just what we do with that anger and this is a thing you know for most of society has this paradigm or this collective kind of um belief that anger is is a bad thing and that it's something to be ashamed of and that if um you know if you're an angry person that you're Mm. bad yeah uh but it's 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 simply that society doesn't understand anger and mm. we haven't been taught an effective way to process anger. Mm. The really, you know, I grew up a very angry kid because I didn't have an outlet. Yeah. And uh, for many of, for my early teen years, I I spent a lot of uh, my time expressing my anger through destructive yeah. forms, right? And then it wasn't until I started to find um, more appropriate ways Mm. or more effective ways that I was able to actually be with my anger. And I started to realize that my anger was actually the thing that was going to change the world. My anger was passion. Yeah. Right. And and so I I genuinely believe without anger, nothing changes. Mm. You know, that's so true. Users drive. Because I actually had someone on the podcast the other week and they were saying like, if you had someone look in the mirror and they're feeling depressed and they're overweight and they want to lose weight, if there was no anger within them, they wouldn't want to change. Totally. But once that person looks in the mirror and like, I'm going to fucking change, and they yes. feel that fire in their belly, yes. that's when change can happen. Totally. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, when, when we look at the nervous system, so like I said, hmm. tra- trauma can do one of two things. It either pushes someone to become an overachiever or an overfunctioner, hmm. or it does the opposite. It pushes them to become, to basically underfunction. Hmm. So underfunction is your, your freeze hmm. response, which that's hopelessness, depression, um, sadness, um, Fainting, you know, it can be like um, systems within the body shutting down. Mm. Uh, And then you've got your fight or flight response, which is a mobilizing energy. So that's anxiety, that's, you know, um, anger, that's, um, you know, that jittery feeling, Mm -hmm. nervousness, excitement, all of those sorts of things. And so you can can be in what's that fight or flight response or 
that's known as a sympathetic response Mm. while still being connected to a place of safety and security. And so when you're connected to both the sympathetic Mm. response as well as the the ventral response, which is Mm. your safety response, that's when you can really like anchor that anger towards something really productive. 100% because especially with safety and security, like that's one of the human needs as well. And people need that. Like everyone needs it within this. And to be able to ex- um, enter that as well is amazing mm. as well, be able to tap into that. But I am really curious about the whole side of the trauma because obviously I work in mental health by now transition to the youth. So I'm really curious about and aware of my daily, I could say, contributions to everyone else's well-being and life for the work I do, mm-hmm. understanding trauma a lot more as well. Beautiful. So, um, yeah, I also want to – where's my phone? I want to ask you more questions. I've got questions written down. Sorry, listeners. Let's <laughs> get my phone out because I went went for your Instagram. Beautiful. And I've got quite done a f- homework. Done me homework. <laughs> yeah, I was actually looking at all your um, testimonies too. Oh, cool. And I was like, because I love just seeing like good results and people happy oh, and achieving beautiful. things. Yes. I was like, this is bloody amazing as well. Yeah, cool. So um, I'm gonna read through some of your posts and just a bit more depth and yeah, please. Because I'd love to learn a lot more about trauma as well. So the moment that you take it personally is the moment that you give away your power, hold your center. Mm. Mm. So that one was great. Um, feeling shame for relaxing is a trauma response. So could you go a bit more into the feeling of shame for relaxing is a trauma response? Because I resonate with that, talking about like a past self for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. totally. So there's layers to this. Um, the first being that I think society collectively mm. – um, Due to, I mean, it could be a number of reasons. My personal belief is that we look at how our parents and our parents' parents were raised. They were brought up in a a period of time where they didn't have the luxury of rest. Mm. You know, I I think of, you know, my grandparents. They they were born into families of eight children in, you know, like a family of um, farmers. So there was always stuff to be done. You know, there was never really – rest was a luxury. Mm. And so – I think that's that's kind of been passed down from generation to generation that if you rest, mm. it's a negative. If you rest, yeah. you're um, you're not going to survive, yeah. right? On the deepest level, that's the belief. You mm. know, we consciously know it's not true that if you rest, we're going to live. <laughs> um, but on, on on some deep unconscious level, we're kind of we're, we're consistently, you know, working and grinding yeah. away. I also think that because that was the experience of our ancestors. It's also they didn't have the space to sit and actually process their emotions, mm. right? And so, um, again, we think of parents pass down their um, ability or inability to process emotions, yeah. right? Because children learn how to self-regulate through co-regulation, through what their parents do. Mm. And so parents who are consistently doing teach their children that that's what they have to do, mm. right? And so those parents who have never actually paused for long enough to process their emotional experiences Mm. are basically unintentionally or intentionally, who knows, um, avoiding looking at their sadness, Mm. avoiding looking at their anger, avoiding looking at their resentment, avoiding Mm. looking at whatever the thing may be, right? And so we live in a generation now where most people keep themselves busy to basically outrun themselves. You know, the moment they stop... And I'm sure you've witnessed people like mm. this or maybe you've been like this. I know I definitely was at one point in time. Yeah. The moment there's stillness, 
the body goes into alarm of like it's not safe to pause. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, and yeah. It, it's yeah. I mean, a lot of people get anxiety mm. when the, the second they try to meditate, they're like, oh, uh, you know, I've oh, the, what's the to do list? There's so many things yeah. to do. I've got to go go grocery shopping, and I've got to do this, and I've got yeah. to pack the kids' lunches or whatever mm. the thing is, right? And so we're basically, um, yeah, we're, we're consistently trying to keep working, and that shame mechanism. Um, kind of comes into play because we've been taught that mm. to rest is weak, basically. Yeah. Like yeah. you go go hustle, you go work yeah. harder. Yeah. Especially with social media as well. Like if we're following accounts that do bring that within us, like we can start comparing ourselves to them and feel like we're not doing enough. Totally. Yeah. 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 And I mean there's so many out there who you know, the story is uh, Nike, just do it. Yeah. You know, rest is for the week. Like sleep when you're dead. All yeah. of those sort of like hardcore hustle grind mentalities, mm. which are actually just these people um, unknowingly kind of trying to outrun. Yeah. Look, really looking at themselves and facing themselves. And so, yeah, it, it, it creates this shame response of mm. if I rest, I'm weak. Yeah. And so, some people go from one extreme to the other. Like they can be doing, um, let's just say, quote unquote, not much at all like productivity in terms of the other end of the spectrum where it's just go 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 non-stop because i've seen that with my not within myself within the work as well that i do that people just go from one end to the other and when they go to the end of do 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 i think it's that fear of going back as well and i think that's when the anxiety kicks in it's like shit i gotta get back up and going but it's all about practice and presence as well and i recommend you know meditation for that is great because at the start it is tricky to be able to get your thoughts to stop and just enjoy being there but over time, with that compound effect, you start feeling, you know, the benefits of it all. Yeah, totally. And I think as well, you know, um, with the shame piece, we've we've sort of been conditioned to attach our sense of self worth mm. to what we do, yeah. as opposed to who we are. Mm. You know, as opposed to us just being a human being. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, it's when when our sense of worth is connected not to who we are mm. as individuals, but rather to, to what we do or how much money we make or how much work we get done or what car we drive or, or whether we own a house or not. That's when we're, we're um, always pushing and striving mm. and the shame kicks in when, yeah. you know, when, when we don't have the six figure business or when we don't have the Mercedes Benz mm. or you know when our clothes aren't as up to date as, as yeah. the chick we see on Instagram mm. or you know whatever yeah. the thing that shame mechanism comes in because our self-worth we've been conditioned to link our self-worth to something that's outside of us yeah and again that's that's the avoiding ourselves mm. when when any part of us when any part of our identity is linked to something outside of us mm. we're avoiding actually looking at ourselves yeah well because I yeah well that was just, a, I love that because yeah. saying that too, like when you look online, like a lot of people can attach their own goals by seeing other people's goals mm. and they take that on within themselves. And I feel like that's where people can lose themselves as well. Cause like you right. said, it's a shift of identity. You're taking on someone else's identity to hope and that will get you yeah. to somewhere where you want to be. But you yeah. just got to realize, you know, you're on your own journey yeah. as everyone else is. Yeah. And that's not to say don't have goals. You yeah. hundred percent. Like, you definitely have goals. Yeah, yeah. That's not to say, you know, don't strive for the six figure business mm. or the Mercedes or the body or the man mm. or, or the, you know, the house or whatever. It's to say that be so comfortable with yourself yeah. that regardless of whether you have those things or not, you're good. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, cause with myself, like I used to always look at Instagram people like, Oh, he's shredded these shoes. And I was like, I always wanted that. But my goal was actually to feel healthy, mm. not to look shredded. Totally. And once I identified the goal of feeling healthy, 
my purpose of what I actually do is a lot more fulfilling because yeah, I'm actually fulfilling the goal within itself. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. that that's a much more embodied goal. Yeah. Because let's be honest, like you get the shredded body <laughs> and, and the, the goalpost moves. Yeah, exactly. You know? 100%. I'm like, when I did get to one stage where I was like that, but I wasn't particularly really happy mm. because I wasn't still enjoying all the other areas of my life because I was totally. so committed in one way. Mm. Then once I just found a balance, things got a lot better. Beautiful. Yeah. Good catch. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so our next one is, in the realm of trauma, there is no such thing as big or small. And I wanted to pinpoint this because people people can always be like, oh, my problems aren't as bad as those people's problems, so I don't worry about it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That one is uh, that one's a big one. I have clients all the time who um, come to me and, and, and basically don't want to speak about their mm. struggles because they don't feel like their struggles are worthy enough to, to be struggles, mm. you know, because the person that sits next to them on the bus had something worse happen to them. Yeah. And the truth is that the nervous system learns through experience. Mm. So someone who's had, uh, who's been able to, to maybe heal or process the worst of the worst mm. has a far broader window of tolerance than someone who maybe tripped up a gutter and had, a stranger laugh at them yeah. right and that like if that's that person's deepest trauma and they never healed from it mm. that can feel as brutal to them as the worst of the worst mm. for someone who maybe has done the healing and does ha has done the processing around that so really it's all relative yeah you know i once had a beautiful client and i know she'll be okay with me sharing this who um you know she'd been through unthinkable sexual abuse mm. and she went to nepal and spent time over in nepal um volunteering with young children yeah. and so there were young children there who you know poverty stricken had um you know had from from sickness and from malnutrition you know had all sorts of issues you know someone had like limb amputations all sorts of things yeah and she sent me a message and she's like oh my god like I feel like I've put so much emphasis on what happened to me and then I look at these kids and I'm like how silly am I how selfish am I mm. for making my you know my trauma is such a big thing when you know, look what these kids are going through. Yeah. But for those kids, I mean, many of those kids are smiling. Yeah. You know, many of these those kids are so grateful for what they have. Mm. And so it comes down to it's all relative. Mm. Like we really cannot compare traumas. No, no way. Um, yeah. You know, it, it depends on what we've experienced. It depends on our ability and our capacity to navigate that experience mm. and heal from it. Um, yeah. And there's no comparison point. No, it's like know? if me and you go through the exact same traumatic experience at the same time and one of us feels it more deeply doesn't mm. mean that person's wrong with feeling it more deeply. It's impacted that person more totally. deeply for a reason. Totally. It's like it's still relevant no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think also, you know, there's an element of like, uh, you know, the tall poppy syndrome mm. here in Australia. We have yeah. that culture of like not wanting, um, you know, we, we want people to do well. We want the underdog to do well, but we don't want anyone to, to be beyond average. We mm. pull them back down the moment yeah. they're beyond average. And so there's almost like this thing of, and, and I witnessed it um, Oh, what was it? Um, oh, loaded topic, but, you know, yeah, a lot yeah. of the stuff with some of the rights being taken away regarding COVID and all of that yeah. sort of thing. And uh, I, I remember seeing a lot of posts online when um, – Oh, forgive me. I can't remember the exact situation, but I, I, I think there was a bombing or something overseas. And I remember seeing posts of like, how can be people here in Australia be complaining about having rights taken away yeah. when these things are happening overseas? Mm. And it was like, well, 
the people in Australia are going through a trauma at the moment. Yeah. And yes, there you know, it's not what's happening overseas, but mm. we can't compare. No, you can't compare. You know, because we haven't had the experiences of living overseas. Yeah. And again, it's that tall poppy thing of because we have it good here in Australia, mm. we're not allowed to want better. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's um it's an interesting one. I, I really believe that you just you just can't con- you can't compare experiences mm. because we're all different. We all handle things differently. We all have a different emotional capacity. We all have a different relationship to self. And yeah. we're all, you know, for me, tra- my, my definition of trauma is anything that disconnects us from ourself. Mm. You know, anything that has us lose our sense of self, whether that's a minute disconnection or whether that's like total disconnection. Yeah. Um, that's trauma. And so you just can't, you can't compare apples and oranges. Yeah, 100%. And what would you say your definition of self is from your standpoint? Ooh, great question. <laughs> God, that was a, that was a, uh, I wasn't expecting that one. (sighs) My definition of self. Can we circle back around? Yeah, of course. I don't think (laughs) I have an answer for that just yet. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, have a little think about it and we'll get on to our next topic. Um, So this one's a long one, but I found this really interesting. That's why I wanted to pinpoint it. Beautiful. When we have experienced significant trauma, our survival mechanisms can result in one of two coping strategies under-functioning, over-functioning. So I actually think we've actually been through that. Could you explain before that under-functioning is a freeze response, et cetera? So we'll move forward. (laughs) (laughs) Before you learn to manage your emotions, you must learn to accept your emotions. Before you can accept your emotions, you must learn to identify your emotions. Before you can identify your emotions, you must acknowledge your emotions. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Can I have that one in front of me? Yeah, of course. It's a long one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think... um, yeah, it's a step-by-step process. I think so many people are, um, you know, they haven't, they, there is a saying that you cannot disown what you haven't yet owned and you cannot leave a place that you haven't yet been. Mm. And so I think a lot of people are trying to, um, you know, and I think this is kind of where I was writing this from, a, a lot of people are trying to, for example, learn how to manage their anger. Mm but they haven't even come to know and fully acknowledge their anger. They haven't really allowed themselves to um, sit there and be with their anger Mm. and to feel it and to witness where it comes from and what the root cause of it uh, is and and what's underneath that anger and really get to know that anger from many levels Mm. before we then try and move beyond it. Yeah, like peel it because like especially with anger, that's shame that's on that as well. So one thing I've found with – working with young men is that they feel anger and then they feel wrong for feeling anger. Then it bottles up. Then you have a somewhat of an episode and then they feel shame about that. And then it's just a build up effect to the next one. Totally. It's such shame or breaking stigma on anger as well, which we talked about earlier. Like I think that is so huge. Like I went to a um, retreat not long ago. And one of the things that they taught there to release anger is literally just to scream mm-hmm. and yell. Primal screaming. Yeah. Yes. So now go into the woods and just scream, let it all out. And that's one of the most powerful things. Absolutely. Because, like, it's the same as crying, too. Like, after you cry, especially me, like, I feel a lot more rational. Like, I think so more clear. I feel a lot more positive. Mm. I feel more peaceful. I feel more joy. And I feel like, especially within men, um, crying and anger is huge. Mm. Um, what would you say would be that for women? <sighs> Guilt. Guilt. Guilt and shame, I think. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think women are... Um, where we, I think women are brought up in a culture where we have a lot of um, expectations mm. and standards placed on us, whether directly or indirectly through marketing. 
um, you know, women are told that we have to be good mothers and, you know, we have to, um, um, you know, we, we, we have to be successful career women but not at the expense of our children. And, you know, like there's all these um, polarising and, and opposing kind of messages. And mm. so I think that, you know, women, women carry a lot of guilt that they're not – a lot of shame that they're not enough and a lot of guilt for – how their actions or inactions may impact others. A majority of that is a cause of insecurities of men project that into women as well. Yeah, I find. Uh, yeah, definitely, <laughs> yeah. definitely. Yeah, and that's what's you know brought us this day and age now, where women can feel those type of emotions, shame, and everything else, especially around sexuality and things yeah. like that. Yeah, well, totally. I mean, there there's messages out there of, uh, and I think women's sexuality and women coming back to a place of sexual mm. empowerment yeah. is a game changer. Like 100. that, in and of itself, is going to change the world mm. because you know there's messages that uh, like women women need to be able to please their partner, mm. but then you know like we we have to be a good girl. Yeah. You know, and if you're a slut, then mm. you're dirty, and no one's going to want you. Yeah. But then also, you know, and there's messages of like once you're a mother, you can't be a sexual being. Mm. But if if you're not a sexual being, you're frigid, and you're you mm. know, there's so many yeah. completely opposing uh, messages that women can't win. So you can't please anyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you know, I, I work with so many women who are consistently trying to fit themselves into this box, mm. but like it. The, the shape of the box is always kind of shifting. And yeah. so depending on who they speak to. And so, yeah, as you said, they just can't win. So it creates this like hopelessness. It creates this shutdown of no matter what I do, I'm still not enough. Mm. And do you have any tips for women to feel less shame about sexuality and more confidence within that? Uh, have the courage to go courage. out and experiment. Yeah. Nice. Um, I, I think for me, you know, I, I definitely came from a um, – you know, I grew up amongst all uh, an older brother and all male mm. cousins and, and um, my entire upbringing, I was surrounded by men. Yeah. So I heard a lot of, you know, and I, I kind of, I guess I, in a way, became just another mm. another bloke to them yeah. kind of thing, you know, because I was, I was a little sister, I, I was a cousin. So I got to hear the way men and bo boys, I should say, yeah. speak about women mm. and so you know and, and speak about women who are sexually active yeah. and so I think I took on a lot of stuff around like if you're a sexual being if you're sexually expressive mm. um, if you're sexually confident then like you're bad you're gross no one's going to want you yeah. you know and so I, I definitely shut down my sexuality in a mm. major way but what I came to realize through having the courage to go out and see yeah. and go out and experiment and, mm. and lean into the, those parts of myself that I had been conditioned to believe weren't safe to express. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I through experimenting started, started to see that, well, Hey, I didn't actually die. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm sexually expressed and I didn't die, yeah. you know, cause that, that's at the deepest level, the animal part of the brain, that's the belief, mm. you know, that if I go and do this thing, it's not safe and I won't survive. Yeah. So when we can go out and play in it and see it as a game, see it as an experiment, yeah. the nervous system learns through experience. Mm. So we, we start to go, oh, okay, yes, maybe Betty down the road talks some shit about, about me, yeah. but I didn't die. Yeah. Right? And so, yeah, I, I, I really encourage women, just go out and see. Yeah. Have the courage to go out and see and play in it and get curious. Yeah, and bring it back to self. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Yeah, Not notice the edges, notice the th the parts of yourself. You know, I went through an entire phase uh, a couple of years ago mm. where I would uh, I would do little I I would 
kind of give myself dares yeah. where I'd be like, oh, you know, like I'd, I'd be walking down the street and I'd see the good looking guy coming towards me and I'd be mm. like, oh, I don't want to make eye contact with him because he'll think I'm hitting on him. Yeah. So I'll be like, that's the exact thing I'm going to do. Mm. That's the edge for me. So I'm going to go on, go, go out and try that on. Yeah. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to see what happens. Mm. Right. And then I'd notice, um, oh, I don't want to say that because this person might think whatever. Yeah. That's the thing I've got to say. Right. So anytime I would notice something I didn't want to do, obviously within reason, not, yeah. not you know, doing anything unsafe or, or yeah, you know, definitely. anything too, too far beyond what's reasonable. Yeah. But anytime I would notice an edge, I would choose to play in that. Mm. I would choose to go out and see, yeah. just see what happened. Yeah. Nice. I love that. Yeah. I was down. That was a very good segue. I'm glad we touched on that because, like, especially like on this podcast, it's been probably like 70% male. I've been wanting to have that topic conversation about women and sexuality and be able to express as well mm. you're just really good at explaining things so thank you my pleasure <laughs> so we're on to our next one so we have now stop confusing disassociation for being in the present moment they're not the same thing one is a trauma response the other is connection to divinity oh yeah okay Fuck, these are old. These are old. <laughs> i'm like oh i don't actually i think i posted that a long time ago i think that there's a lot of um the spiritual community. Mm. Uh, there is a lot of this. Di so when I speak about disassociation, I'm talking about basically leaving the body. Yeah. Right. Like um, not being embodied within your body, not being connected to what you're feeling, what you're sensing, what you're seeing, smelling, hearing, what's the words that are coming out of your mouth. Mm. And disassociation is a trauma response. So, you know, a lot of people when they've experienced violence or some sort of abuse, mm. It's, it's, a, um, it's a form of freeze response. So we, we actually leave the body on some level. And so I think that a lot of people turn to meditation mm. as a way to disassociate, right? There's a difference between meditation to connect more deeply to self mm. and meditation to escape. To escape, yeah, well. Yeah. And so, you know, and a, a lot of people, dare I say it, People talk about, um, you know, channeling mm. or hitting that zero point, you know, that yeah. place of like complete stillness. A lot of the time it's just disassociation. Yeah, well. Right? A lot of the time it's a trauma response, but because it feels peaceful, mm. because it feels like stillness, it's being misinterpreted as, you know. And if um, you like, it's like we're, we're avoiding it rather than dealing with it. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I... Uh, and again, I know this particular individual, I won't, obviously won't name names, but I know she'll be okay with me sharing this. She was telling me about a particular uh, experience she had where she was working with a therapist to navigate, um, to heal through some experiences around sexual abuse. Yeah. And um, he was basically, he, she was lying on the floor and he was pushing down on her chest mm. um, and essentially recreating the experience so that she could come to a point where she could fully feel from a place of power, that former experience, mm. right? So to kind of rewrite the story of it. Yeah. And she said she was deep in the pain, the fear, the, you know, um, the overwhelming experience of it. And then mm. all of a sudden it was like a switch flicked. And she was like, oh, I'm calm. Yeah. And she said, she said to the therapist, like, oh, I'm calm. Mm. I'm, I'm all good. It's, yeah, thank you so much. I'm healed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and he was like, okay, cool. So, um, where are you at the moment? And she was like, oh, I'm just, I'm just over in the corner. I'm just over in the corner watching. Mm. And he's like, okay, so you're not actually yeah. okay. Mm. You've just avoided. You've just stepped out of your body so that you don't actually have to feel mm. the fear. 
you don't actually have to feel the overwhelm. You don't actually have to feel the sadness or the anger or the hopelessness. Yeah, well. Right? You didn't have to feel the shame of what's, what's just happened to you. Hmm. So, yeah, I think a lot of people think that they've healed, but they haven't actually – they haven't allowed themselves to actually step into what they're going through. And, again, it's, it's, I, I think I said it before, you can't own what you haven't yet – sorry, you can't disown what you haven't yet owned. You cannot leave a place that you haven't yet been. Yeah, well, well. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I've seen, um, like, I've been to a lot of meditation retreats and things like that, and that wasn't even anything I was aware of. Like, I knew meditation, but having that different perspective on it that you can use it to escape, like, right now I can say I'm guilty of that by you saying that because, like, I, I like I always thought it was me just, like, chilling out, mm. being at peace, but now realisation that sometimes I, I do escape from it mm, and then totally. I haven't actually dealt with it. Totally. And do you have anything, like any tips around to actually, like say if you do disassociate for a meditation and then you come back, is there anything you can do to actually then go and deal with this without obviously, um, let's just say more so to do it by yourself? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, disassociation is always because the, the, the feeling or the experience is too much, yeah. too much for one to handle. And so a lot of people who have chronic um, chronic pain mm. or, you know, like um, chronic illnesses tend to disassociate. Mm. Uh, someone who has like a, an injury will learn to disassociate to escape that pain basically. Yeah. So what we want to do is we want to start to create safety within the body. Mm. So I encourage, and this takes time because, again, the nervous system learns through experience and whatever yeah. is repeated becomes our natural way of, you know, the more we repeat something, the more it becomes automatic. Yeah. So depending on how long that's been someone's pattern, mm. we have to consider it's going to take some time to change that, mm-hmm. um, to change that to a point where it's no longer a conscious response and yeah. rather an automatic kind of response. Um, so I encourage for someone that does tend to disassociate or finds themselves disassociating to spend time finding where in the body they feel they're safe, the mm. safest. So it could be, the safest space in their body. And so shutting down the eyes and just checking in where in my body feels the safest. Mm. So it could be my right knee. It could be my <laughs> left pinky finger. Yeah. It could be my right ear. Like it could, mm. could be any area of the body and letting that be the anchor point. Mm. And then coming back to um, whether it be the experience that you're, you know, the sensations in the body or the memory or whatever the thing is you're trying to move through. Yeah. And any time that you start to feel it become too overwhelming, come back to the left pinky finger. Yeah. Right? And just sit there until you're like, oh, okay, that's right. I'm safe. Mm. I'm safe to be here in my left pinky <laughs> finger. Identify that anchor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, once you're safe again and you've regulated yourself, then step back out into whatever the trigger is. Yeah. Step back out into feeling that that pain in the the injury or – the pain of that memory yeah, or, you know, whatever it may be. Mm. Again, when it starts to become overwhelming, come back to the pinky finger. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm going to do that. Can you, can you do that literally just within presence? So say like if um, me and you are out for a coffee and I start feeling a bit overwhelmed, I can just sit there and come to my anchor points and just be present within that and then come back into the conversation. Totally. My, yeah. uh, my safe spot is my right knee. Oh, true. So when I start to, and don't ask me why, it's just always felt like a warm, <laughs> warm place for me, a warm, safe place. But when I start to really feel myself um, starting to get really angry, mm. when I want to run in moments where I um, start to disassociate, I just remind myself of my right knee. Yeah. That's right. That feels safe. Cool. <laughs> you like you know? your knee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I really encourage like having mm. that connection to 
a, a part of your body that, yeah, feels the safest. And over time you'll start to, you know, create a safe space. The entire body becomes a safe space. Yeah. But in particular, if you've got that one place for when things just get too much, yeah, um, just coming back to that, like that backbone you can lean on. Yeah, yeah, well, wow. yeah. How can people like actually um, work with you as well? Because yeah, I'd love so, to touch on that. Yeah, beautiful. So um, I have a couple of options. My one on one, which is obviously the the kind of uh, elite, yeah. I suppose, um, top of the range, I should say. I, elite's probably not quite the right <laughs> term. Uh, yeah. I do have my group program. Heal and Reveal, um, which that's basically looking at across the the three levels, the nervous system regulation work, the somatic work, and then the mindset work. Uh, and then I have uh, my entry-level program, which is Rewire the Nervous System, and that's that's literally teaching everything we've spoken about. Yeah. Um, so the um, uh, – n- yeah, nervous system regulation, the three states of the nervous system, f- mm. uh, fight, flight, freeze, and then, of course, your safety response. Uh, or so I, I should say ventral vagus, which is safety – uh, sympathetic, which is your fight and flight, and then dorsal, which is your shutdown. Uh, and then I do also on the side have like business and performance um, yeah. masterminds and that sort of thing. Oh, awesome. So, yeah, if people just reach out to me via social media, then, um, yeah, they can they can get in contact. How long have you been doing the masterminds for? Uh, what would it be? I've done masterminds in different kind of contexts for mm. maybe three years now. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I am. Um, I actually, me and my brother, Stephen, not my actual blood brother, but – my brother Stephen, we am um, started one in Brisbane last Monday. Beautiful. So north side of Brisbane every Monday, a little plug here. But every Monday, six forty five PM in Deception Bay, we do a mastermind and it's probably amazing. We we're there last night and the energy in the room yeah. was just it was just buzzing out. Like I got home and I felt like I was just on another level. Yeah, <laughs> totally. You become the average of the people that you associate with and I think it's so important to be discerning about um, your social circle, your environment. And so yeah, these masterminds give us like a direct uh direct upgrade to you know just people who who think the same but maybe maybe have a little special source that you don't have you know so yeah we we get to um get to kind of lift one another yeah like Mm -hmm. when people speak to me like oh i want to make friends but i don't know how masterminds are great for that because then you're supported and you're in a good network of people and you will achieve some things as well yeah totally yes have you got any book recommendations about the work you do or just in general personal or business development um, hmm. Conversations with God, hmm. uh, incredible book. It's not, it's not necessarily about trauma, but it's, it's, uh, I guess indirectly, it's about moving out of that survival mechanism and into more of a, a connection with something higher. Um, and I should note, I'm not religious. Yeah. Um, conversations with God. I mean, whether whether you're religious, whether you believe in the universe, whether you're an atheist, whatever. I think there's magic in it for everyone. Um, so yeah, conversations with God. I've only, I think there's three books. I've only read two, mm. but they're incredible. Um, the breakthrough experience by Dr. John D. Martini. Yeah. Nice. Incredible. Um, it's very heavy intellectual, mm. uh, and it's probably more of like your top down regulation. So mindset work rather than body work. Um, do I have any others? They're probably the main ones. Yeah, I'll definitely check them out, especially the Martini one because I just bought one of his books. I can't oh, remember what it was, but yeah, I respect what he does a lot. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. A beast. I've had the pleasure of working closely with Martini, oh, well. so yeah, he's a he's another level of human. Yeah, well, when did you do that? Uh, the first time I worked with him was 2017, nice. and then I had the pleasure of going back and doing a bit more work with him in 2018. Yeah, well, I love that. <laughs> he's a uh, 
<laughs> Very interesting dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, 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 and he's got a fucking hilarious sense of humour. You wouldn't think it, but yeah. he has the most dry, inappropriate sense of humour. <laughs> it's brilliant. I love that. Yeah. So I want to come back to the question before. Um, definition of self. <sighs> I think uh, – I mean, it depends how deep you want to go with this. Yeah, as deep um, as you want to go. <laughs> I think the self is, um, it's ever evolving. Mm. I think that self is me and every single um, thought, experience, um, conversation yeah. that, I, that I have. Uh, I believe that, I believe that we are all one. Mm. And so this conversation here is showing me a part of myself. Yeah. You know, this, uh, the um, conflict that I have with the um, stranger at the, I don't know, when they cut me off is mm. that self. I yeah. believe that everything is ultimately an extension of me. Mm. So um, I guess in the context of, I can't remember what the quote was, oh, uh, trauma is, is anything that has you disconnect from self. I think that's, uh, I, I guess I would use the definition of self there as, um, your sense of identity, mm. your sense of um, worthiness, your sense of direction, your mm. sense of um, the thing that has you anchored, yeah. the thing that – your safe place, basically. Mm. Self is the safe place. Yeah, It's well, home. Yeah, and it's also like like you said before, like how you know that, that everything around you is self because it's all yeah. a reflection of yourself. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, it's all a mirror. It's yeah. all us. It's all just an extension of us. And that book, Conversations with God, is is mm. about that ultimately. It's, it's – um, yeah, about how everything – we are the centre of the universe. Yeah, well, I'm going to add that on my list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please do. It's fucking incredible. Have you got any additional notes, messages, or anything you'd like to add before we finish up? Um, I would like to add that I have an um, e-book and audio training that's oh, wow. free for anyone that wants it. Uh, it's called um, Fierce and Free. Mm. So they can get it at www.fiercefreewoman.com. And basically what it is is uh, it's a, a series of questions and then a series of audio trainings to help you really start to shift from that survival way of being uh, and start to just make those like 1% shifts that make mm. all of the difference to start to move into really uh, sorry really thriving and really coming to know yourself on a level beyond just mm. reaction. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. You actually created an ebook and put that out there for yeah, people. Yeah, I love that. And where else can everyone find you as well besides the website? Yep, Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. Um, so just at my name, Brianna Bowley. So it's spelled B-R-I-A-N-A-B-O-W-L-E-Y. I forgot how to spell my own name <laughs> for a second then. Yeah, don't worry. I'll link everything in the bio <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I, I had to pause and go, wait, did I say that right? God. <laughs> But uh, no, yeah, I'll link everything in the bio. I just want to say thank you so much for coming for on. Sure. I love the work you're doing. Oh, thank you. Keen to see your journey and go forward with it. And also, um, yeah, thank you for coming on. Beautiful. Thank you so much. What an honor. No worries. Well, thank you for tuning in, everyone. Um, like I said, I'll link everything in the bio. I'll speak to you later. Take care.